Come in. Here we go again. Up early, feed the dog, out the door, traffic, at the office, boss in some kind of mood today, no time for lunch, annoying co-worker, no time to relax, bedtime. Then we gotta do it all again? Uh, no way. Because the best way to break up the mundane every day is to play. At Wild Rose Casino and Resort. Slots, tables, sports, and a whole lot of perks when you join and play with your club wild card. So, let's play. Wild Rose Casino and Resort, Clinton. Does your financial advisor take the time to really listen to you? Is your financial strategy personalized for you and your family? Will your financial advisor be there as your life and financial situation changes? When you work with Edward Jones, they focus on what's important to you. You'll work together and use an established process to create a personalized financial strategy backed by the advice, tools, and resources to help you reach your goals. And they'll partner with you to help your strategy stay on track. Visit edwardjones.com or stop by the office of Todd Nash in Coralville, Jeff Rudolph, or Scott McGill in Iowa City, or Travis Whitmore in North Liberty. Edward Jones, Making Sense of Investing, member SIPC. Hi, I'm Jim Street, owner of Streets Maintenance. As a licensed, insured, and bonded master plumber, I specialize in all plumbing repairs, including but not limited to water heater and sump pumps to toilet and faucet repairs and replacements. For more information about my business, I'm online at streetsmaintenance.com and Facebook, or give me a call at 400-4483, 400-4483. Oriza Asian Cuisine and Bar is celebrating its fifth year anniversary. Enjoy Chinese, Vietnamese, Thai, and Korean all combined into one menu. Visit 5 Sturgis Corner Drive next to Staples in Iowa City. Open 11 to 10 every day, 365 days a year, or visit online at arisaic.com. Hello there, and welcome to the Hawk Fanatic Mailbag Podcast. I am your host, Rob Howe, recording on Tuesday, September the 6th, 9.02 a.m., Central time, and this should be an eventful one. Uh, people are pissed off, pissed off at how Iowa's offense looked in a 7-3 to victory against South Dakota State on Saturday at, at Kinnick Stadium in the season opener. The seven points were accumulated by two safeties and a field goal, and it was not pretty. I rewatched it last night, uh, Monday night, September 5th. And uh, stuck with it. A few was, <laughs> was going to bail out a few times, but uh, stuck with it and watched it till the end. And uh, it was as ugly on rewatch as it was watching it in person. Um, and you know the old saying is in football you get you know you make your most growth, you, your biggest progress, your most progress between game one and game two, and Iowa is going to need a lot of that on the offensive side of the football with Iowa State coming up this weekend, coming to Kinnick Stadium. Uh, that's a 3 p.m. kickoff on the Big Ten Network. Um, so it is Cyhawk week. It's been pretty quiet, but you get that sometimes with the Labor Day holiday on the Monday uh, before the game, after the season opener for each team, uh, the Cyclones opened with a 42 to 10 victory over Southeast Missouri. Uh, North or uh, South Dakota State would crush Southeast Missouri. So um, I'm not sure how much you take out of that, uh, but the Cyclones did look good, uh, spe- specifically offensively with Hunter Deckers in his first start at quarterback and Xavier Hutchinson showing that he is one of the better. Uh, wide receivers in the Big 12 and perhaps in the country. 
Uh, but the way Iowa's defense played on Saturday, I would expect uh, a, a, a steep decline in Iowa State's <laughs> offensive production. Wanted to thank our sponsors, Wild Rose Casino, um, Edward Jones, Ariza Asian Restaurant and Bar and Street Maintenance, along with Systems Unlimited. Um, support for this podcast comes from Systems Unlimited, celebrating 50 years of providing services to people living with disabilities and mental health needs throughout East Central Iowa. A list of their services and upcoming events can be found at sui.org. So thank you very much for the sponsors that bring you this podcast for free each week and all of our podcasts here on the Hawk Fanatic feed. Uh, we have a new Hawk-centric podcast each day of the week we have the flagship with pat hardy that uh is uh live most day most monday wednesdays and fridays usually by early afternoon we have the mailbag on tuesdays and then the hawkeye hotspot on thursdays with scott and i and then uh during the football season we had our first one on saturday our rapid reaction podcast and that is with jordan canzeri and Jovan Johnson breaking down the Iowa football game shortly after it ends each and every Saturday or whatever day of the week the game happens to fall on. So uh, we thank you. Thank them. Thank you guys for listening. We're going to jump in here. We've got a lot going on. As I said, uh, people are pissed and uh, we'll try to answer your questions and talk you off the ledge a little bit. Although I'm not sure how, how many folks want to be talked off the ledge. I think they're going to hang out there to see what happens on Saturday against Iowa State. Um, these are from Saturday, from the game, right after the game. So they may have a little more vitriol than some of the ones that when people were able to calm down a little bit. Uh, but Joaquin Taco at Senior M. Barbera on Twitter asked, Kirk didn't pull Petrus at halftime when everyone could see he didn't have it. Down the starting running back, he gave one freshman a couple of snaps, even after Williams' red zone fumble. So is Kirk lying about how well these guys do in practice, or are they not good? Um, I don't think he's lying. I mean, there's guys that practice really well, and it's just a different ball game bringing it to the stadium with 70,000 people. There were just a lot of new guys out there on Saturday, particularly you look at the offensive line. You had Connor Colby playing right tackle for the first time. Uh, Bo Stevens and Hunter Deckers, or not Hunter Deckers, Duckers, Dunker Je Jennings, or Jennings Dunker, excuse me. I'm going to, with Hunter Deckers and Jennings Dunker uh, playing against each other this week, I am sure to mess that up frequently throughout the next uh, several days, but um, Logan Jones with his first start at center, it was not a good game for the offensive line. And I know there's more, there are more specific questions from you guys about positions and position groups moving forward here in the mailbag podcast. But um, I don't think he's lying. Kirk is lying about how they look in practice. I think if at least, I mean, Here's the deal, and I, I've said this before. You can't fool the guys in the locker room. They know who, for the most part, I mean, there are close. We have, I mean, 2014 is the most uh, clear illustration of there being a lot of gray area between Rudock and Bethard. Rudock certainly was ahead in 2013. Bethard caught up to him in terms of, 
uh, ability at the co- to to succeed at the college level. It's a developmental program. These kids are coming out of high school and they're they they develop at different rates. And that was kind of a collision of Rudock kind of hitting where his ceiling was and Beathard catching up and had that potential to go ahead. Um, it's hard for me to imagine, but I don't know what goes through coaches' heads. I know we've got questions here asking me to get into the coaches' heads. I can't do that. Um, I could just give you my opinion and my um, – what's the word I'm looking for? Analysis on what I see and experience of watching this for a long time. You're 26 covering Iowa football. But there are also just – there's information we're not privy to. Um, and the biggest one – is practice. We don't get to see practice, but what, two or three times a year. Um, so who knows what goes on in practice? That said, you have to think that the coaches are going to play the guys that they believe are going to give them the best chance to win. When coaching staffs fail, it's when those decisions are not accurate. And oftentimes when those decisions are inaccurate, um, you have kind of a pushback from the players because they see it too they're at practice every day if you're playing a guy that they don't think gives them the best chance to win that creates a problem that's what happened in 2014 with Rudock and Bethard there was a splitting in the locker room of who you know each group felt should be in there we're just not there yet um I saw some frustration on the receivers faces Saturday with some of the throws that that Spencer made and you know, it reminded me a little bit of early 2020 with Amir Smith, Marset, and Brandon Smith, and their frustration that you could see outwardly on the field when plays weren't made. So, this is a process. At some point, it could get to the point where the coaches make a change at quarterback, but I don't sense, at least right now, and based on what they're saying, that there is one close. So, you just kind of have to roll with this and see how much, again, that game one to game two progress. That's what you're looking to see. You know, you have, you know, evidence on film now from a game of what works and what doesn't work and what might work. And that's the task that everybody has this week in the Iowa football facility. And we'll see. I mean, nothing really matters. You're talking about practice and how they look in practice. That's great. And I think you build up equity with the coaches. But really, what you do in practice doesn't matter when you can't do it on Saturdays. So, that's ultimately they can talk till they're blue in the face this week with all of us and try to convince us that things are going to be okay, but we need to see it at this point. Brian Ferentz is in what 17, 18, 19, 20, 21. This is his sixth season as offensive coordinator. You gotta, I mean, things should be better than this and you can't just say it's him or Spencer or the offensive line or the receiver room or whatever. Bottom line is he makes about a million dollars a year coaching the offense and it needs to be better than this. It's a punchline nationally. I was being made fun of nationally for this offense. And that does not matter other than in recruiting. And if recruits see that, but ultimately it really just matters the results. And I was one and oh right now. And you live with that with one and oh, but you're going to need to see progress on that side of the ball. The the defense just and special teams cannot carry this team to 10 wins again with a more difficult schedule. It's it, I would be shocked and I'm not shocked very often these days, but I would be shocked if that happens. So that's kind of my, my 
answer to that, Joaquin. It's kind of a, you know, I'm not going to call Kirk a, saying he's a liar for what he's telling us he sees in practice. My, the rub there for me is he can see whatever he wants to see in practice, but we don't see it on Saturdays. I don't think it matters to anybody. AP Hawkeye at Andy Paul rolls one also from Saturday. Isn't Kirk Ferentz's stubborn and baffling refusal to change anything about the offensive approach going to start costing him not only on, but off the field. If you're a skill position player, why would you possibly consider Iowa? Yeah. And that kind of speaks a little bit to what I was saying with Joaquin's question. You know, when you're a national punchline on social media for your inabilities on offense, people see that, you know, and if you're a receiver, um, a running back, a player that wants to excel, we saw, and, you know, I know there was some blowback and people were pissed at what, you know, at Charlie Jones last Thursday when they saw what he did for Purdue I mean, you watch the two offenses, and how can you blame Charlie Jones? So I I hate to talk in absolutes when it comes to recruiting. Um, it's more – there's – I don't know if wiggle room is the right term, but there are kids that are going to come here thinking, you know, yeah, this offense is struggling, but I can be the guy that helps fix it. Now, it's going to take a – you know, a really strong individual to to do that and, and want to do that. But when you look at somebody like Tyler Casper, who's a legacy recruit, a four-star receiver recruit that picks Oregon over Iowa, um, it makes you wonder what are Iowa's chances with, you know, receivers that don't have an attachment to the program. And they got one receiver in the 2022 class and Jacob Bostic, who somebody asked about, and we'll get to him in a minute, um, and then Alex Moda, who's playing for, who's playing receiver for the first time this year for Marion after playing quarterback. Those are the only two commitments they've gotten from wide receivers in the last two classes. So it's almost a self-fulfilling prophecy. If you can't throw the ball, you can't attract guys who you can throw the ball to. So it's a problem right now. One that I was going to have to fix. It's, it's fascinating to see, you know, a coach, a head coach, who uh, is considered one of the best of his generation. Um, He's done it for a long time. You're 24, but at some point your legacy wraps up and how you finish oftentimes defines a large part of that legacy. And how is this going to end for Kirk Ferentz is, are he and his son going to figure it out? And, you know, the offense starts to click and that's what people remember or, is this a slow burn at the end here where they can't figure it out? Now they're coming off a lot of wins. I mean, they had, you know, six and two in the pandemic season, 10 and two in the regular season last year, poor postseason. But eventually you push that bar up to the point where, you know, people want to see that bar raised. The the bar of, you know, being a contender in the West and maybe winning the Western division every five to seven years and then going into Indianapolis, that becomes stale for people. And you have to do more than that. You have to win maybe back-to-back divisions and win 10 games a couple years in a row and maybe be competitive in Indianapolis. They were in 2015 against Michigan State. They weren't last year against Michigan. So I think expectations are super high. I mean, when you sell out all seven home games before the season starts – 
that lets you know that people expect a lot from your team. Uh, and there was a lot of booing on Saturday in Kinnick Stadium. And you wonder, you know, players and coaches say they don't listen to that and it doesn't affect them. They're human and it's going to affect them after a while if things continue. And this one could get ugly with Iowa State. If there's not, you know, obvious progress made on offense, people are going to continue to get more pissed and voice their displeasure. So you you don't know how much progress is going to be made, but some progress needs to be made again. It's uh, But it's a good question, Andy. I'm not sure. I guess time will tell for us how it affects recruiting moving forward if Iowa can um, – show some some progress and then be attractive to players, uh, particularly at the wide receiver position. Uh, Drake Timbers, this one is also from Saturday game day. Uh, I appreciate the winning. Last ten win, last year's 10 wins were no joke, but I wish Kirk would stop putting lipstick on this pig. Kirk, do your thing, win, and stop trying to convince me. And as a pig farmer, I appreciate lipstick's power, but this offense is a hog. Too ugly to doll up. Um, yeah, I don't think there's a question there, Drake. I think it's, uh, you know, a, a thought or an opinion kind of in line with what the majority are thinking right now when it comes to Iowa's offense. Um, and I was very, very cautious this whole offseason hearing, you know, Kirk and Brian and Spencer Petrus and other uh, coaches and players involved in the offense saying things are going to be simpler. It's going to look smoother. Um, it, you know, it, it, we're right there. It's just a couple of plays. We just, you know, we're close, all that. I shoved all that out and was saying through most of the offseason on this podcast and on the Hotspot podcast and what I've written, the talk is great, but we need to see it. And what we saw on Saturday was a continuation of what we saw last season, um, if not worse. So, that's where we are right now on Tuesday, September the 6th at, you know, 9.30 a.m. Central Time. It doesn't matter what we hear this week and what is said or what we say. It's really what happens when they, you know, they kick off at 3 o'clock on Saturday. What do we see from this offense? Were they, you know, were, were the coaches holding back last week because it was South Dakota State? I tend to think that that's not the case. I know that's kind of uh, – uh, a uh, blueprint or it's been a blueprint in the past for some teams that have like a, uh, a a smaller school or a lower division school in the opener. You kind of play it close to the vest to not show maybe your more high profile opponents what you're going to do. But I didn't get that sense on Saturday. I think South Dakota State's just a pretty damn good football team and gave Iowa all it could handle. Um, and I think you're going to see a similar, similarly built team in Iowa State. I don't know how much better Iowa State is than South Dakota State. Um, time will tell over this season, but both are really good football teams. And um, I think it would behoove Iowa to do some things differently on offense whatever you need to do this week. If they come out and play conservative again, which I think they will, um, the, you know, the Hawkeyes are, did it last year in Ames. They basically just, you know, ate the ball. I think Iowa State had four sacks. Iowa punted a bunch of times and just took advantage of plays when 
they were available to it, but for the most part did not take many chances. Um, and I think that's going to be a similar approach this week, lean on the defense and lean on the special teams. And hopefully Iowa State makes more mistakes. I don't think Iowa's turned the ball over against Iowa State since 2013 or 14. I don't have that in front of me, but uh, last year's turnover difference was, I think, three or four to zero. Um, and that was the difference in the game. That was 27 to 17. So um, I didn't think South Dakota State played a clean game, a lot of penalties, um, missed opportunities. So um, we'll see if Iowa State comes in here and plays a clean game. Uh, it's going to put even more pressure on Iowa's offense to make some plays. Um, but I think Iowa's offense is going to at least, at least need to cash in a few plays this weekend to pull through. Uh, similar to what it did last year uh, against Penn State with the big pass play to Regani. You're going to have an opportunity or two throughout a, ga- a game to make a play like that, and that's going to be magnified this week just because Iowa's going to continue to struggle on offense at least until it gets some players back healthy uh, and develops particularly on the offensive line. Uh, DC Hawk at DC underscore Hawk six on Sunday asked, when do you start questioning KF's Midas touch for the offensive lineman? Obviously the program has produced some great players, but how many great complete lines? It's a fair question, DC. Um, I think the 2020 line was pretty good. Um, but Iowa has suffered injuries and had a lot of turnover on the offensive line, like wide receiver, just a revolving door developmental program. If you're losing guys after, you know, one, two, three years, and then you don't get them to, you know, their redshirt sophomore, redshirt junior, redshirt senior years, it becomes harder. And then with the zone blocking scheme where you need chemistry and continuity, it makes it that much more difficult. And then pile on top of that, there were injuries throughout August. Uh, It just led to a very uninspired effort on Saturday from the offensive line. And it was everybody. It wasn't just the new guys. I thought Connor Colby struggled. I thought Mason Richmond struggled. Logan Jones's struggles were there for everybody to see. Um, And he's following in enormous footsteps of Tyler Linderbaum. So, Again, you just hope to see the progress from week one to week two, uh, and it really does start up front. I know it's a cliche, but if Iowa can't block, um, and it's uh, and I'll talk more about this moving forward when we talk more about kind of the the philosophy and the intricacies of what this offense is trying to do. Um, but that the off questioning the offensive line DC is certainly fair. Uh, this is George George Barnett's second season coaching the offensive line, and you need to see some progress. Tim Polishek had some struggles early, but by the time he left, uh, which was that 2020 offensive line, it got pretty salty. So, you know, we'll have to see how things develop here, but uh, Iowa is certainly on the clock. Uh, RF at zero underscore dice, also from Sunday. Kirk is a great leader who will never throw players under the bus in front of the media. But what do you think he's saying to Brian Spencer and the O-line behind closed doors this week? I'm sure he's getting into everybody in practice, but again, you kind of, you dance with who brung you and whoever Iowa has, it's not like, I don't think you can make wholesale changes in terms of personnel or philosophy at this point. 
you know, you can tweak things. You can maybe replace a guy here or there if you think there's somebody better. If Bo Stevens is, uh, you know, clear clearly one of the better guys, if it, if it works better to put Jack Plum in there and move, you know, Connor Colby back inside. I mean, there's thing, there are things you can do here and there. But for the most part, this is what Iowa has. And it's more about getting the most out of what you have and maximizing what you have than trying to make, you know, wholesale changes. Maybe some of what you have, it was on the bench and you need to play more, um, but that's for them to determine. Um, And he's not going to throw his players under the bus. Um, Although he did talk about lack of execution and it's hard to call plays when you're not executing on the field. That's not singling anybody out, but that's certainly putting a little bit of, uh, of the blame on the players, which is fine. Um, But ultimately when you're talking about responsibility, the coaches have the ultimate responsibility, the players come and go, they change, but you after, you know, in year six of an offense, it should not look like this. Uh, of an offensive coordinator's tenure. It should not look like this. So whatever needs to be done needs to be done. I, you know, whatever Kirk can do in practice, whatever he can say to these guys, uh, whatever he sees, you know, whatever he can tweak, whatever he can add, uh, it's all important. It's a veteran coaching staff. There's no excuse for this offense to be uh, struggling as much as it is right now. Um, And granted, I am not going to downplay the injuries. I think they're a factor. Uh, particularly at wide receiver, uh, but there's nothing you can do about that, um, you know. And you've had time to um, understand that Keegan Johnson was going to be slowed. Um, Nico Reganey's been out for several weeks now. Uh, you have time to adjust, um, and you saw some adjustments with some of the tight ends splitting out, uh, a little bit more activity to Monty Potabom in the offense. Um, but just hard. It just looks so hard on offense. And it looks so hard last year in that it looked that hard again. It's just really hard to come to terms with. It just really is. And I think that's why so many people are struggling with it right now is because it was there was hope that it would be better, and it wasn't. And that's hard to take. It's a tough pill to swallow. So California Hawkeye at D Freen on Twitter. Will we see Keegan Johnson at all this season? I feel like KF is hiding something from us. Um, I don't know what he would be hiding. Um, obviously, these players have some have privacy, um, you know, whether it be whatever is keeping them off the field, injury, um, health, uh, you know, whatever it is, whatever. If they're not in good enough health to play, they don't play. And I don't think it's incumbent upon the player or the coaches to publicly discuss whatever is keeping a player off the field. Sometimes it's safety concerns. Sometimes it's privacy. Whatever the case may be, it's not our business. And I know that drives people crazy sometimes, uh, but it isn't. And uh Keegan Johnson will be back when Keegan Johnson is capable of getting on the field and being healthy and that's kind of where we're at with that and will it be this season time will tell I mean you know again people heal in different at different times people you know in, 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 on different um 
timelines. People develop on different timelines. It's really up to the individual. And uh, I just hope, hope Keegan Johnson gets better and is able to play football uh, again. That's kind of my hope for him. Um, Roaming Hawk at Roaming Hawk on Twitter. Uh, these are all, by the way, within the last day. Sorry. Uh, Padilla can't be that bad, Kenny. How did he look at the open practice? He looked okay. Petrus looked the best, but it was kind of goofy because they were playing. Petrus didn't play a ton. He They were running some third down or, or um, running through some third down scenarios and plays, and it wasn't really just a straight scrimmage up and down, first down, second down, third down, you know, moving down. It was situational work, so it was hard to tell. But Padilla is kind of who Padilla is. He's who we saw last year <clears throat> when he played. And, uh, you know, sometimes you shake things up to shake things up, but I don't know. I came into this season not knowing what it was going to take uh, for Padilla, even during the offseason, what it was going to take for Alex to be able to, you know, pass Petrus, um, you know, what the coaches would need to see. You can only go by what the coaches are saying. And what they're saying is, is that Spencer is clearly their guy. And again, I'll go back to something I talked about earlier. When you lose the locker room, when the locker room is seeing something different than the co- what the coaches are seeing, or if the, they, the, the locker room, the guys in that locker room don't believe the coaches are doing what's best, you'll feel that in the locker room. We saw that back in 2014. It kind of pulled the locker room apart a little bit. I don't sense that right now. I don't sense a clamoring within the walls of the locker room for Alex Padilla. It's a long season, though. We'll see what happens as time goes on here. If people uh, in that locker room, other coaches, you know, it gets to the point where it becomes a bone of contention, then you've got a problem on your hands. Then you can lose the team. Um, what we saw at that tax layer ball after the 2014 season was a team that was lost. That team was just, you know, just torn apart in the locker room just based on the um, indecision at some point or ineffectiveness and, you know, what people were seeing. Um, But then they turned it around in 2015 and had an unbeaten regular season. So they were able to put that together. And Kirk and company are good at, you know, circling the wagons and getting things done. Um, and getting better. And uh, so I'm interested to see what happens this week against an Iowa team, a state team that's going to come in here hungry as hell. I think what have they lost six in a row in this series? And uh, I'm sure they can, they can smell the blood in the water. So uh, RF is back. That's at zero underscore dice. He's got a couple more here, here, or he's got another one with some clarification. Um Petrus throws two picks in the first half, but Iowa is up 10 to nothing from a pick six and a short drive field goal. Does he start the first half? Second half, that is. Um, I don't know. It's kind of going back to what Roaming Hawk said about, you know, how bad can Padilla be? I really can only go on what the coaches are saying, and that is that Spencer is clearly the guy. So I don't know. Um, again, I don't. I just don't know what the what's the word I'm looking for. 
what the what the point where where what point Iowa has to get to as an offense where the coaches say, hey, let's try the other guy. Um, you know, at some point, I think it just kind of says, you know, it it uh, it tells you. I mean, if if you go in through, you know, this week and it's just still that bad on offense, do you say to yourself, listen, we've got uh, the easiest game in our schedule, at least on paper, in Nevada, night game at Kinnick. Do we – that's the decision you have to make. That's if the offense struggles again this week against Iowa State. Do you prepare Alex Padilla – and let him play against Nevada and maybe build up some confidence, let the offense get in a little bit of a rhythm? Or do you say this is the game where Spencer Petrus can get right and then, you know, it catapults him, him into a more successful rest of the season? You know, three-quarters of the season would be left at that point, and you're kicking off Big Ten play. What is, you know, what's the best approach? And uh, we'll see. Um, I'm – I am not going to try to get into the head of the coach, coaches, heads of the coaches. I'm just going to listen to what they say and then watch what I can watch on Saturdays and then evaluate and analyze from there. And that's kind of really all we can do. Um, I, I understand that you guys are asking questions about what you think, what I think that I, they will do. And I just, I, I'm not, I've, been around this long enough to know that that's a fool's errand so uh what is the single game record for punts by one player in a game i imagine that tory is up there and what is what are the chances he breaks the record uh this weekend i am not sure what the record for punts in a game is at iowa um i could probably look that up uh, have a, uh, i've got a 2020 guy here. Let's see if I can look up statistics. Where are my statistics? Let's see here. Uh, team's best. Individual career bests. Individual season bests. Individual season best. Individual game bests. Um, I don't see a record for punts in a game. I see punt returns, interception returns. I do not see any records kept for punts in a game. I'll see if I can find that out for you. Uh, looks like punting is, I should have known this. It's the 16 by Niall Kinnick uh, against Notre Dame in uh, in 1939. The record for punts in a season is 87 in 2007. Um, I think Taylor may have broken that last year, but I don't have that in front of me. But anyway, the record is 16. Torrey had 10 on Saturday. 16 is a number that you're just like, holy shit, that's a lot of punts. That'll be hard to uh, hard to chop top. And uh, can he break the record this weekend? I hope not, Damon. And that uh, question was from at Damon Doubled on Twitter. Uh, e at NBA underscore fan underscore 2014. Will this Iowa football season turn out like the seasons when Frank Lauterbur was coaching 1-10, 3-7, 0-11? The problem now is bad offense rather than bad defense back then. Yeah, I don't see, you know, 1-11 and 
three and nine, even four and eight. I think seven is probably the floor, maybe six and six. Um, but I, it's so early to make that proclamation right now. I just can't do that. E, um, I, it certainly has a chance to be a, you know, a, um, disastrous type season with an offense that looked like it did on Saturday. Um, but there's 11, 11 other games that, you know, you want to see, I need more evidence, I guess is what I'm saying. Um, I know people are probably screaming at their whatever device they're listening to this on right now saying, what are you freaking how? What did you see last year? It's the same shit. Well, yeah, it did look like that in week one, but let's see what it looks like going forward. Uh, sometimes it takes that first week to kind of figure it out. And I'm not saying this is going to be like uh, Ohio State's offense, but I'm also not saying it's going to be as bad as what we saw on Saturday. There is some opportunity for growth and things getting better i i saw some there were some signs there on saturday there were some you know moments um but it needs to be the learning need and development needs to be sped up a lot quicker than what it is right now so um yeah i don't see frank Lodiber, but i also am not sure if i see um 2002, 2009, 2015, even even 2021 with this team, getting the double-digit victories with this offense just because the schedule is that hard. But the defense, I mean, I know nobody's asking me about the defense and people want to focus on the, the poor play of the offense, but the defense and Torrey Taylor were frigging lights out on Saturday, folks. That defense has a chance to be – and I didn't think I'd see a defense better than 4 at Iowa kind of like I didn't think I'd see a better offensive line than O2 and I haven't yet. Um but this defense has a chance. They're you look at the versatility of a guy like Cooper Jean who can play cash and play corner. Uh we've mostly seen the safety playing cash. Now we have a cornerback playing cash. That's dynamic. Um yeah, Justin Jacobs being out is not good and we'll learn more about his injury today. Uh hopefully he gets better quickly. Uh that's a big loss. He's your probably most um, athletic linebacker and uh, lets you do a lot of things in base uh, that I'm not sure that uh, Logan Klempf, the senior who's coming in, the next man in, is capable of. Um, Just naturally, next man in, you want that next man in to be able to uh, fill in, but most times there's a drop-off because you're losing a starter. The reason the guy was starting is because he's the best at that position. Duh. No duh, Hal. Clint Harms at until game, even if it's not completed, doesn't a long pass downfield at least once a quarter make the defense think about it a little bit at least? In other words, manufacture some ways to loosen the defenses up. I was thinking about that when I was watching, looking, uh, reviewing, re-watching is the word I'm looking for. Coffee sip. When I was re-watching the game last night, I'm thinking to myself, why aren't they taking some shots? Um, You know, you saw South Dakota State take a shot, uh, and they had it. That that play was there. It was just a bad ball. But, yeah, I mean, you got to do something different. You can't just keep doing what you're doing. And, again, maybe it was just, you know, hey, we're going to, not show much of our playbook, 
because we want to, you know, not show Iowa State too much. I don't get that sense at all. Uh, I know that's something that, again, is kind of a um, just kind of a, a, a theory that goes way back um, and an approach that goes way back. Most teams are too good to do that against these days, even, especially when you're playing an FCS opponent as good as South Dakota State. So I don't see that. So, yeah. I think you have to take some more shots down the field. I think Keegan Johnson's your receiver to do that with, even Nico Regani. Um, it's going to be a matter of trust. Uh, it's from Spencer Petrus and the receivers to do that, but why not? Um, and I don't know. I don't know who that guy is, um, but hopefully they find it, uh, find him. Uh, Scott Trunkhill at Corvairs on Twitter. Before last Saturday's game, when was the last time Ferentz wasn't the longer tenured head coach in a game, maybe Joe Paterno. Yeah, that's probably it. Um, I'm not good at the memory game here, but um, yeah, I think so. I, they probably played some non-conference games against guys that have been there a long time, but um, John Stiglmeyer is, uh, he was fun to watch. He does a good job with his kids. I was watching him on the sidelines when I was down there and just kind of, you know, after his punter shanked that punt in the first attempt, he went over and just, you know, calmed him down and just let him know he had um, confidence in him. And the kid came back and punted well the rest of the game. So, um, yeah, it was kind of interesting to see. Um, Scott at S. Philseth on Twitter's, do we know why Ken O'Keefe departed after last season? My hope is that he felt it was just time to step away and enjoy life post-football. My concern is that there are philosophical differences with Brian or Kirk, and he wanted out. Do you have any inside info about it? I don't, and I do think that Ken was – I think it was a combination of – Kirk and Brian wanting to streamline things, making the offensive coordinator, the quarterback coach. Um, I don't know percentage wise how much that played into it um, in conjunction with how much Ken wanted to retire. Um, I don't know. I don't know how that went down. So no, I don't really have any inside information on that. I hear things, but nothing that I would throw out publicly. Um, but you know, I think it was amicable. I think it was a decision that Ken was fine with. I don't think he was like, ah, eh, I'm getting shit on here. Um, I think he understood what Kirk and Brian wanted, which was to streamline the offensive coordinator and quarterback coach positions. And I think Ken was at a point in his life where he was okay stepping aside and he's being kept on as an advisor. Um, analyst, whatever they are titled, uh, and getting paid still. So, um, yeah, I – but those were the reasons. I mean, those are the reasons we were given. He wanted to retire. Kirk and Brian wanted to streamline offensive coordinator and quarterback coach. What percentages go into that? And, you know, what was, what the, the, what was the most deciding factor? I don't know. Um, Buford Grimes has a few questions here, but I'm going to read these to myself first because this is a burner account that uh, just uh, basically is 
firing shots and not really having any type of uh, what's the word I'm looking for uh, reason and uh, perspective maybe because I mean his first part of his question is how in the hell is Brian Ferentz employed those types of questions on here folks aren't going to get read um, or not answered I should say um, just not how we do it on the podcast. Um, you guys so far, I think we've all had reasonable, um, constructive questions at this point, but some, you know, Twitter burner count firing shots, um, with, you know, crude questioning. It's just not something I'm going to read on the podcast. So if that bothers folks, I'm sure there's another mailbag podcast somewhere where people will just, you know, go off and use profanity and, um, rip people without any type of construction. So Tyler Anderson at Ty Anderson 21. I know Brian gets a lot of grief, but there's only so much he is allowed to do under his dad's program. I'd be interested to see what he would do if he didn't have any restrictions. What do you think? Yeah. If we go back to 2017, I advocated for Brian's hire. Um, I thought if there was anybody who could move Kirk's offense into this century, it would be Brian. He would be able to get into his father's ear enough to say, hey, let's do this, let's do that. But we know the tenets, the philosophies, and the foundations of this offense are Kirk's. And, you know, from Ken O'Keefe to Greg Davis to Brian Ferentz, there have been offensive struggles. So you've got three different offense coordinators. What's the common denominator? It's the head coach. He's the one who has the, um, again, the foundation, the philosophies, the basic tenets of this offense, and the coordinators have to work within those parameters. And at least, I mean, we have 24 years of evidence that it is, we we know what it looks like. We see what it looks like. Um, I didn't really see much on Saturday that led me to believe that anything um, and maybe nothing drastic needed to be done, but there was meaningful change that maybe would confuse a defense. Uh, to me, there was, you know, some different shifting and alignment and things like that, but nothing extreme enough to throw a monkey wrench in the defensive game plan. And that's that's kind of where we're at here. But I'm with you, Tyler. I mean, maybe Brian goes somewhere else and, is able to let it all hang out and he's got this great offensive mind that's being suppressed by his father. I don't know that. I mean, we'd have to see that. Um, there has to be some type of common thought in what they're doing. Otherwise I would think they would be fighting all the time. So I don't know. I, I don't know um, how much leeway Brian has, but I think We've, as I said, we've seen in 24 years what this the base of this offense is, and it really hasn't changed with three different offensive coordinators. Uh, a couple more here from Buford Grimes that won't get read. Um, uh, well, this question I think will the media will the media ever ask Boss Tweed Kirk the tough prickly questions? Yeah, we're not doing does the media where answer ask the tough questions. This is kind of this is the blueprint for um angry fan. Uh blame the media, blame the coaches, blame the quarterback, um, get really nasty and surly and uh 
it's kind of rinse and repeat. Uh, I've seen it. It's the same, it's the same movie I've watched for 26 years. Uh, this one we'll read for Buford. Uh, this one seems to be a little, his third question seems to have him calm down a little bit. Uh, and it's at Grimes to Buford. The program is turning loyal fans sour simply because of the offense. And it's the antipathy toward change that has most of them pissed. I don't think the Hawks can hide behind another fluky eight and nine win season. Not happening. What's the catalyst for real change on offense? It's kind of, piggybacks on the questions I've been asked. I don't know. Um, you know, it, I guess the catalyst would be Kirk being willing to make wholesale changes, meaningful change. Um, and we did not see that in week one. Uh, we heard a lot about it in the off season, how things were going to be simpler uh, for the players and easier to execute. And it didn't look like that on Saturday. Was it because, you know, the changes are going to take some time. I didn't see that. I wasn't like, wow, that was a cool play call or that was a cool uh, personnel group. And, you know, that has some potential. Nothing really popped off the film at me that I thought, you know, wow, that's an innovative. No, it's the same shit that we see every year. But when, <laughs> when other teams know it's on film, they're not going to do a lot. And here's, you know, you know, from the pissed off fan perspective, here's the thing. What does Gary Barta view as danger, trouble, um, oh shit, his oh shit moment? You guys sold out the seven home games. You, the fans, you bought all the tickets for all seven home games. What is the sign that there's trouble there? There is none. That's what changes things. They just got a billion-dollar TV contract, the Big Ten. So they've got money to, to, you know, that picture you can picture in your head. They could throw the money on the bed and just kind of do snow angels in it because they have more money than they know what to do with. The only thing I think at this point that would foster change is if Kirk decides to do it himself and says, listen, this isn't working offensively. We can't just work harder. We can't just do what we're doing, and eventually it's going to develop and work. He makes wholesale changes, or he's forced to make changes. And what's going to force a guy in his 24th year to make changes? The threat of fans not going to games and supporting the program. As long as fans are going to games, supporting the program, buying merchandise, uh, watching the TV, giving them ratings so they're making money from – media rights deals, what is the incentive? And you've got, you know, the ability to say, listen, Iowa's one of the winningest programs over the last five years. Um, you know, eight. what other teams are winning eight, nine, ten games a year regularly? As long as that happens, if Iowa can win eight or nine t- games with this offense, then they go back to the complementary football. Um, on what's up? complimentary football rallying cry, if you want, if you will, that, you know, it takes three phases, offense, defense, special teams. If the offense is struggling, the other two can pull it, pull it through to win eight or nine or 10 games. It's still a good program. And, you know, we can argue that we can, but they've got to do that with this offense. They've got to get to eight or nine or 10 wins with this offense. And it didn't look like it was capable, 
capable of that on Saturday. But again, it's week one. Let's see what happens as the season goes on. Uh, RF at zero dice, zero underscore dice back again. Does Iowa football employ a sports psychologist? Yes, it does. Uh, I can't remember her name, uh, but the players speak very highly of her. Um, and uh, I know a lot of them going back. I remember talking to Nate Stanley about it, how much it helped him just from an approach and um, mental health standpoint. So it's good. I think Iowa does a good job with mental health support for its athletes. Um, and football certainly falls into that category. Uh, Jacob Clancy at JN Clancy asks, what's the status of Jacob Bostic? That don't see an injury and surprised he's not in the wide receiver mix. Yeah, he flashed a little bit on Kids Day, and I was surprised he wasn't in there on Saturday. Um, I'm not sure what the status is. I'm sure he'll be uh, Kirk Ferentz will be asked about that today. Um, but you know, he's got to earn the trust of the coaches, and that's uh, that's the basic answer here. Jacob is if he shows it in practice. Um, and he's healthy, he's got a chance. I mean, Brody Brett got out there. I saw him for one play. I don't know how many play snaps he actually played, uh, but he's a guy that's been dealing with an injury, and uh, he's earning the trust of the coaches. Guys like Alec Wick and Jack Johnson uh, have played, have been healthy and played a lot, and they've kind of built up some equity. So that's where they are. But uh, we'll see with Jacob. Again, early in the season, let's see what happens as uh, as things unfold here. Uh, DC Hawk at DC underscore Hawk six. What was your reaction to Kirk talking about Petrus practicing well in the post game press conference? Just feels like he's trying really hard to justify why he's in there. Again, I don't, I mean, I don't really have a reaction DC because it's what Kirk has said about Spencer now for three years is that he practices well. Um, But at some point that, you know, what you're doing in practice, if you are practicing well, has to translate to the game day field, field at field. And again, it's not just the quarterback. The offensive line was not good on Saturday. The wide receivers struggled to get separation. South Dakota State did a good job defensively of taking away the run, daring Iowa to beat it deep. It limits what you can do as a quarterback because you're not able to uh, utilize the whole playbook because everything is condensed because of you're limited in what you're able to do. So I don't know. I mean, maybe switching to Alex Padilla would be the spark that this offense needs to just take off. Um, but I am uh, skeptical that that would be the case. I think there's more than just the quarterback here. I think it's there are issues all over the offense that need to be corrected. And uh, again, we'll see. We'll see what happens going into week two because I think Iowa State, although it lost a lot on defense, it's still pretty salty on that side of the ball. Uh, Will McDonald is a uh, NFL-type defensive lineman uh, who can cause Iowa's inconsistent offensive line some serious issues on Saturday. So it'll be interesting to see. Uh, and then Orion Vance on the second level, former Cedar Rapids Washington star, is a really good linebacker, underrated linebacker. So – uh, I was ISU has some real talent on that side of the ball. I would not think that this is going to be an offensive breakout for Iowa, but it at least needs to make some makeable plays in key situations in this game. Cause I think it's going to be a 
closely contested game one way or the other. I think the point spreads around three, three and a half points. Um, so that lets you know that the people making the gambling lines feel like it's going to be a close game as well. Uh, Joaquin Taco at senior at, or at senior M Barbera on Twitter asked, he was earlier and he's back. Kirk has shown he will make changes, but only following a catastrophic event, Hawk Slayer ball, Doyle culture, adding cash position. If Saturday wasn't it, what will happen to see that this offense is no longer complimentary? Um, the different dynamic with all of those things that you mentioned, he wasn't at, with the, I guess with the exception of the tax slayer bowl, um, not as hands-on when it comes to making defensive changes. He didn't have a choice with Doyle and the culture. That was that was uh, a decision that was out of his hands. He had to make that decision. It wasn't really his. It was more of a university-wide decision on that. But um, Kirk is hands-on with offense, um, and he admits that. That that's he doesn't go into the defensive uh, coaching position group meetings. Uh, he'll dip his head in head in every now and then, uh, but he is I'd say heavily involved. But he is involved with the offense. So when you're saying it's not working, it's a direct reflection on him, and he's going to want to fix that. Um, but again. He has done the same thing basically for 24 years. I'm just not sure how comfortable he would be um, straying from what he knows. And uh, that's, again, goes back to that legacy point I made earlier. I think the decisions he makes here, particularly, particularly on that side of the ball, moving forward to the time he retires, are going to define much of his legacy at the end of the day. I mean, he's got the, you know, the two championships. He's got, you know, some Western Division titles. He's got, you know, what happened with the racial bias. He's got those. It's a long, there's a lot of things that go into a 24-year career at one school. Um, But at the end of the day, most people remember what you did football-wise. Iowa hasn't won a Big Ten championship since 2004. And, what we're seeing right near now with the offense is I don't think anything I've seen since Todd Licklider in terms of people being angry at how, uh, it, you know, incompetent a certain phase or um, area of a program is. And, you know, as boring as it was to watch Licklider's basketball teams, this is hard to watch Iowa's offense right now. So I don't know what it would take. I don't think anybody's going to force Kirk to change. So it's really self-reflection on whether or not he wants to do things to change. And who knows, maybe he doesn't feel like he has the personnel to make the changes he needs to make. But again, that's on him. He's one that runs the program. Um, I see depressed citizen at depressed citizen. Very funny. Uh, can you please use your platform to talk about why booing at a game isn't acceptable regardless of how bad it gets? Imagine what a recruit thinks when the fans turn on their own team or how it negatively affects the players. Show some respect and have some class. You know, people pay a lot of money to get into these games. I'm not going to decide for them 
what they want to do. Um, if they don't like what they're seeing with their investment and their money that they pay for tickets, it's certainly their right to boo. I understand your point. It's not something I would do because I have a relationship with the student athletes. I know I've heard from guys from the 2017 that were booed off the field last game of the season. It's something they still remember and take with them to this day. That was their last memory of leaving Kinnick was being booed when they lost to Central Michigan or Western Michigan, one of the directional Michigan schools. But it does impact them, and it does affect them. And fans will tell you, if you ask them, we're not booing the players, we're booing the coaches. You can't separate that. Everybody's hearing the boots. So it really depends on how the players and coaches process, you know, if how it affects them. And um, uh, it's not my place to use a platform to tell people not to boo. It's up to them. It's people can make their own decisions. And I don't think anything I say on this podcast is going to change how they approach it. And it's not like it was a one game deal. Um, It's now a lot of the same fans that have seen this now for a season plus a game and they're getting fed up with it. And I understand that it's not helpful. I don't know what they're hoping to accomplish. I don't think booing helps anything. Uh, It makes you feel better, I guess, because you get to boo because you're pissed, but I don't know. Sports are crazy. Uh, Drake Timbers at Drake Timbers on Twitter has three here. I'll try to get through these quick because this podcast is starting to stretch into an hour. Um, And I apologize. Anybody who didn't ask questions with the HF mail hashtag, um, I'm not going to have time to go hunt those down. Uh, So the questions that were answered on here had the hashtag on them. Um, If you can use the hashtag, it makes it a lot easier for me, especially when we have this many questions. Uh, to the point where I'm running this podcast out to an hour and getting close to being late for player availability today. So going to have to wrap this up here soon. But um, Drake Timbers, uh, I feel like BF's not to blame. A lot of open targets, too many drop catches, inaccurate throws, and missed blocks. Which season did Iowa have the most progression from first to the second game? It may have been 09 when Iowa won the Orange Bowl. Because if you remember – Iowa struggled, needed block, two blocked field goals against uh, field goal tries against Northern Iowa to win that game, the season opener in 2009, and then went on uh, to a big season. Um, that's the one that sticks out to, in my mind the most, Drake. Um, and I wrote about that in my column on Saturday. We, we want to uh, make proclamations based on one game. Uh, about how the rest of the season is going to go. And that's just a a dangerous approach um, because teams do get better from week one to week two. And Iowa has a history of getting better as seasons progress. Uh, Developmental program, it makes sense. Guys get better as the season goes on. Um, And you figure out more about your team and who who can do what, where. Um, And that's what you have to hope for. If you're a glass half full person here, you look at Saturday and say, man, that defense is lights out. Tory Taylor is a freak for a punter. Um, those two phases are going to be, among, you know, among the best in the Big Ten. Um, can the offense get to a point where it's at least competent? If it's competent with that defense and that special teams, then you have something. And that's the task right now, is improving the offense to the point where 
it can at least complement those other phases by not hurting those other phases. Just don't do any damage to those other phases. They did damage the other day. They fumbled the ball. They threw an interception and just were basically inept. Um, and that puts too much pressure on the other phases. And defense, the defense is, defense in particular, not as much special team, is going to wear down. You ask them to be out there and, you know, especially early in the season when it's hot, they're out on the field the whole game. Just they're going to wear down. It just happens. So the offense needs to catch up and at least do something as the season goes on to not put as much pressure on those other two phases. And then in doing that, um, make those less effective. Uh, Drake's got a couple more here. How disruptive will it be for college football if Iowa wins a natty with punting defense and Iowa's banshee crowd? Uh, that's one of those rhetorical questions from Drake. He loves to ask each week. So I'll let that one kind of marinate with you guys. You can answer that in your own heads. What happened to what Yahweh black? He's not on the two be- deep. Um, why a black, excuse me. I mispronounced his name, but I corrected it without looking it up. Uh, what happened to why a black? He's not on the two deep. He played a lot on Saturday. Um, I don't think anything's wrong with him. He's just not on the two deep because they're so deep at defensive tackle. Um, but he is the second – he and Lucas Van Ness come in as the second defensive tackles behind Shannon and Logan Lee. Um, I'm not sure how many rep, reps he got on Saturday, but he made a couple of nice plays. I think he's developing really nicely. I think he's on his way uh, to developing into a really nice player. Uh, sit down. at Love the Hawks is going to be the last one in this week before I have to get out of here. What's more concerning, how bad the passing game was, how bad the running game was, or that it was never considered to change the quarterback for at least a series or two? You're asking me to rank ineptitude. Sit down. Um, Most concerning, um, I think my inclination is to say the running game, but again, much like the program is built on complementary football of offense, defense, special teams working off of each other, depending on what is needed for that given week. The offense is complementary. And when you can't throw the ball down the field, it allows a defense to just suck up to the line of scrimmage and make it almost impossible to run the football. And that's what we're seeing. We saw it last year throughout most of the season, which made it that much tougher on Tyler Goodson. I mean, if there's five offensive linemen and two tight ends, that's seven guys. If there are eight or nine guys in the box, that's too many guys to block. It makes, I mean, it's math that it's going to make it that much harder to run the football. Um, Again, I touched on this earlier about changing the quarterback. I'm not sure how much that would matter. Would it hurt? Hard to say. I mean, things were not going well Saturday. Maybe it would have been a spark, but maybe not. Um, I get the um, kind of the rally to to change the quarterback. Um, But if you change the quarterback and it still sucks, then what do you do? Um, You know, so there's decisions made there. And you're also playing with emotions. Um, If you bench a guy, do you lose him? If you bring the backup in and he's not doing well, now do you have two guys that you've lost? I mean, a lot of decisions there, but I'm with you. Sit down. You have to do something, uh, particularly this week. If, you start, if you're if you down and you need the offense to do something, you need to do something to help that offense. 
Um, so I would say the passing game is most concerning because of the way it affects the running game. Uh, South Dakota State basically laughed at Iowa's play action because there were no threat. So what? You're faking a handoff. Big deal. You're not going to throw the ball. You're not going to throw it over our heads. So um, that's what needs to change. There needs to be a downfield threat of some kind. And to me, they've had all offseason to try to figure that out. I'm not sure what the holdup is. Maybe they just don't have the ability to do it. And if that's the case, that's the thing that's most concerning. All right, guys, I apologize again to the folks that I didn't answer. If you did not use the HF mail hashtag, that's hashtag HF mail. You can use that any time between now, whenever you're listening to this podcast and the next time I record, and I will go back and find those questions as I did this week and read them and hopefully answer them on the next podcast. Thank you, everybody, for listening. Thank you to our sponsors, Wild Rose Casino, Edward Jones, Street Maintenance, uh, Ariza Asian Restaurant and Bar, and Systems Unlimited. Thank them one and all for their support. And thanks again for listening, guys. Enjoy the rest of your week. We'll talk to you next week. Peace.